Hello everyone, this is Data Driven Formula One with Patrick Hansen, Gana Pagrebna. Hi Patrick. Hello Gana. Hello all. Yeah, good to see you. And uh, today we're talking about Alfa Romeo. Right, uh, Alfa Romeo, uh, something uh, which we not did uh, in the past, we will discuss a little bit uh, a whole team from the beginning uh, to today. Uh, also, uh, we had a feedback from our um, listener or viewer. Uh, Stefan Asakriti, uh, who asked why we not do an episode speaking a little bit how uh, teams uh, evolved uh, over the time. And that's why we put here different uh, chapters to see how uh, the teams uh, changed uh, from, let's say, from factory teams a little bit more to uh, uh, garage teams later in Formula One becoming high tech uh, companies. Um, so uh, I, I included this into uh, our episode, and uh, just as a disclaimer, uh, we split it uh, in two. First, we will discuss Alfa Romeo before 1950, so before the start of official Formula One, and then in the second episode, we will start with 1950, and we will uh, have the focus up to 2021, which is the year where we are recording. Yeah, so so basically there will be two parts, and yeah, Alfa Romeo is a, leg a legendary team. Uh, so when we discussed 1950s, we talked quite a lot about it, um, and yeah, it will be good to start uh, from uh, from the beginning, in a sense, well at least from not from so much from the beginning of Alfa Romeo itself, but from the beginning of racing. Uh, history of Alfa Romeo. So and this is what yeah. I wanted to do today. In, in, but in fact, it's not a big uh, different. Uh, yeah. uh, racing practically started or uh, right in the beginning, as yeah, you exactly. say. Uh, most say racing is part of uh, the DNA of the company. And uh, I like to play around a little bit uh, with this little AI tool. I'm sure all of you know to animate uh, the photo. And this is what we try uh, to reach, uh, to bring back uh, history to life. And uh, quite interesting, the history, when we speak about Alfa Romeo, didn't start uh, in Italy, but in uh, France. And it started all with uh, Alexandre Derek. He started an automotive uh, company uh, in uh, France. And uh, interesting, uh, first uh, he started with combustible uh, engines, but uh, after this, uh, he <coughs> also invested into electric uh, drives. So, uh, and, and this was not quite unusual. Many companies in the beginning of the automobile uh, have been uh, betting on the electric uh, engine. Uh, one uh, other company was uh, Siemens offering electric cars. Uh, but as we all know, in the beginning, uh, it went uh, to uh, the uh, combustive engine. Just now, with Tesla and Covia, seem uh, to go to the electric drive. And this is also where we will end, I think, in the second episode, speaking about um, Alfa Romeo. Yeah, so the original company was Alpha, right? Um, right, it was Alpha. Uh, so this was the uh, original Italian company which uh, Alexander Direct founded together with his Italian partner Ugo Stella. It was Alpha Anonima Lombardia Fabrica Automobili. And uh, so translated uh, roughly into uh, 
Italy, uh, sorry, into automotive uh, company uh, Lombardia, and Lombardia is the region around uh, Milan in Italy. So this is where it all uh, started, 1909. And then we get uh, Nicola Romeo into Romeo. the play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was uh, originally from Naples, south of the country. He started, uh, he started at the Politecnico di Napoli, but he also received his uh, diploma in engineering. Uh, interesting, uh, as part of his studies, he went also to Liège, uh, Belgium, quite near my uh, hometown in uh, Germany. He got a second degree in electrical engineering. And uh, in the beginning, he was not directly focusing on the automobile, uh, but uh, founded in 1911 his first company, Ingeniere Nicola Romeo Co., and he manufactured machining, machine, machines for the mining for industry. Mining, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, right. he started in mining, and uh, you know, we, we talked about uh, uh, several different uh, interesting starts, uh, right, in, in, in automotive, like Maserati, <laughs> Lamborghini. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, so so yeah, you have to understand that uh, kind of uh, the original um, uh, ideas uh, in automotive came from many different places, including you know just general engineering. And then yeah, in case yeah. of uh, Nicola Romeo, yeah, he was uh, essentially working in mining engineering. So he was uh, um, producing. Um, uh, basically machines for mining and uh, yeah uh, eventually which eventually translated into very good cars <laughs> uh, right. but originally yeah originally it was the mining uh, technology right so four year, more years now we are 1915 uh, he acquired a major part of alpha uh, from directly from Alexandre Derek, uh, as this as uh, Derek was a little bit uh, struggling, as the engines which have been successful in uh, France and uh, also in Germany, um, for example, Derek uh, had been working together with uh, Adam Opel, quite a well-known name for German automotives. Uh, but uh, it seems that for Italy, uh, they not had been that uh, adequate because Italians had been looking for a little bit stronger engines. So he uh, sold a part uh, to uh, Mr. Romeo. And already some years later, uh, Nicola Romeo became the sole owner. And accordingly, he changed the name uh, to uh, Alfa Romeo. And this was in 1920. And this was also when practically the first cars uh, left the factory with the new Alfa Romeo logo. Yeah, and that's uh, was also an interesting change uh, between sort of the beginning of 20th century and now when um, it used to be that, you know, you, you, you would borrow ideas from other industries into automotive. And now mm -hmm. it's more kind of technology that is developed uh, in Formula One is transferring into other areas. And um, I think we have one of the early episodes about how, you know, technology from uh, Formula One changed uh, other, <laughs> other areas and, uh, you know, you use, you, it was used in space and in health yeah. and, and in other areas. Yeah, so this is also an interesting difference between the, the beginning of um, 
uh, automotive uh, in in the 20th century and uh, and now yeah but now we are at the stage when um, alfa romeo racing was established right so exactly you you, you may say in in grand prix exactly you may say that uh, racing always had been a part of uh, alfa romeo or also part of alfa even before romeo joined uh, but also, I mean, we are in complete uh, different times. This uh, we, now uh, we are speaking really about the pioneers of the automobile industries, and uh, practically uh, to uh, to market a new technology, it was quite common that you participated in uh, uh, racing. Uh, we know that uh, that the wife of uh, Daimler Benz uh, promoted her husband's uh, car. While uh, driving it, we saw that already at the end of the 19th century, we had the first automobile race in uh, France. So right in the beginning, it was normal that uh, the first factories, they promote their cars through uh, racing. But anyway, uh, now we're speaking about Alfa Romeo. And as you see, I'm quite good prepared today <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> Yes, uh, for those uh, of you who, yeah, we just need to uh, explain to the podcast viewers that uh, uh, Patrick is wearing a jacket with Alfa Romeo colors and even logo. <laughs> right. So, um, as we said, uh, racing already started uh, before Alfa became Alfa Romeo. Uh, we had the first race car in 1913. And uh, back uh, later in 1925, they, they already won the then inaugural world championship for Grand Prix cars. So they've been quite successful right from the beginning. These uh, race victories gave uh, the company a sporty image, which it has up to uh, today. And also uh, Enzo Ferrari, uh, first his Scuderia Ferrari, it was not an independent uh, company, but it was... Uh, practically uh, the racing department of Alfa Romeo. Uh, before he uh, left the company, uh, I think he had two or three years where he wasn't allowed to use his own name. But after this, uh, he founded the Ferrari company and then uh, had the Scuderia Ferrari uh, using uh, the Ferrari cars. But right at the beginning, it was uh, the Alfa Romeo racing department. Yeah, so and, and when we uh, discussed uh, the earlier um, earlier racing uh, history in uh, basically 1950s uh, and so on, we actually discussed uh, quite a few people who raced uh, Alfa Romeo cars and a lot of uh, photos that we showed you back then were of, you know, of, of people in Alfa Romeo cars. Um, and uh, yeah, another thing to mention here for those of you who didn't watch the previous episodes, um, yeah, you need to understand that the uh, um, uh, Formula One championships uh, only started in 1950, um, and um, but before then there were many different Grand Prix running in, like, independently, so it was not as the, like one championship, but there were many many trophies. And uh, Alfa Romeo was very, very successful in this uh, Grand Prix. So essentially, this was one of the leading uh, uh, car manufacturer for racing uh, and uh, had a very good reputation back then. Yep. 
Yes, and uh, for the case uh, you are watching us on a video uh, on YouTube, and I will, we will come to this uh, later also now on uh, Spotify. Uh, here is a photo from my last trip uh, to Milan. It's the Castello Sforzesco, which is right in the historic center of the town. And what you see here is um, the uh, logo uh, uh, from the city, which is also based uh, on the logo of the ruling uh, family uh, back in uh, Renaissance time. It shows uh, the cross and the dragon. And this is what also became the logo of uh, Alfa Romeo. And uh, it's up to the um, legend that the idea for the logo was born at the Trendstub right uh, beside this castle. The draftsman Romano Cataneo, and he was a friend of Giuseppe Merosi, the designer of the first uh, Alfa car, uh, was in uh, waiting there, waiting uh, for the bus uh, or the train. I'm not, no, sorry, it's a train stop. Um, right at the castle, so he was waiting for the tram number 14. And uh, he saw the castle and he saw the logo the, at the castle and thought this would be a nice idea which we can use for our logo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, this is uh, uh, basically a, a very uh, uh, legendary logo and actually Alfa Romeo is one of the most recognized brands. Uh, up to now uh, and uh, yeah definitely um, uh, like Patrick said uh, even uh, kind of before the establishment of the independent Scuderia Ferrari you know this was uh, Alfa Romeo brand uh, but Alfa Romeo brand as you all know is still uh, it still exists so it was a, a good choice of uh, of a brand so definitely yeah. I mean I'm, I'm sure that this is not just because of the logo but uh, because of the quality of the cars, but uh, nevertheless, this is uh, officially one of the most uh, recognized uh, brands uh, uh, in the world, uh, not only in automotive, but generally, uh, if we take uh, uh, well-recognized brands, Alfa Romeo will be at the top. Uh, yes, and it's quite popular that we speak about uh, storytelling, uh, for modern uh, companies uh, to storytelling uh, to market the products but also for internal processes and uh, this logo it's practically uh, also storytelling it's a quite uh, when we uh, think about the uh, renaissance time uh, milan was a very important uh, city it was ruled by the uh, visconti uh, family and the Visconti family uh, had one problem. Um, they needed a better family story because based on the family story, uh, also your particular relation to God, uh, you can acclaim uh, why you are uh, the ruler of the city and nobody would criticize you. So they asked somebody to write or let's say to enhance a little bit the family story and they came up with the idea that one of the earlier uh, Viscontis fought a dragon uh, and uh, killed the dragon. Uh, other people uh, think this may be also related um, to the Crusades. Uh, uh, so anyway, this uh, story is what we see here uh, with this with the snake, as we call it uh, today. But in fact, uh, it should symbolize a dragon. And maybe if you not have looked that close on the logo, a lot of people think that the dragon is like 
uh, with fire coming out of his uh, mouth, but in fact, it's a little person which the snake was eating right at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and this brings us to the first part of uh, uh, Alfa Romeo racing history. And we will be talking about uh, the first uh, racing car cars uh, exactly. Alfa Romeo produced. Exactly. And in general, uh, we are in times of the automotive uh, pioneers. So the first uh, brave men and uh, unfortunately only few women who uh, started in these uh, cars. Uh, we start our story with uh, 1920. You see here a photo from the uh, Targa Floria in uh, Sicilia, in the south of uh, Italy. And you see how uh, Grand Prix cars looked uh, like uh, 100 years ago. Yeah, if you're watching us on YouTube, you will be able to see the, the photo uh of um uh, alfa romeo cars in 1920s and yeah it um, it was a very successful um uh, racing team uh, so they produced a lot of champions of this uh, like i said this independent grand prix that were running at the time mm -hmm. uh, which then uh, i mean this success later translated into uh, formula one yeah and uh, quite interesting, a lot of uh, famous uh, races, which uh, still um, are news today, already existed in 1920. Uh, for example, uh, Le Mans, uh, Indianapolis, Targa Florio, not exists uh, anymore as a modern race, but uh, still uh, known up to date. So, uh, and especially Mugello. Uh, Mugello is uh, not only the hometown of uh, Ferrari, uh, but they had also a, a racetrack, and uh, I assume this is the still uh, racetrack in Mugello, which still exists today. Uh, we, we have, today we have here um, motor racing, uh, motorcycle racing, but also it gets used, for example, to teach autonom autonomous cars uh, to see and behave in uh, traffic. So this, uh, if it's still the same racetrack at Mugello, also a uh, big history here yeah and um, here also we want to make a note again if you missed the previous episodes you need to understand that uh, back in the day the teams uh, as such did not exist um, so what uh, you would normally have is uh, um, some racers who would buy a car and then they would yep. race on it so effectively, uh, quite a few people were racing Alfa Romeo cars. So if we, you know, you could you could see if you're watching us on YouTube, you could see a list on the screen of quite a few um, racetracks, and uh, you know, uh, Alfa Romeo could participate in different countries uh, with different drivers. So it doesn't mean that it was the one team with kind of multiple, <laughs> multiple cars and multiple <laughs> drivers. It just meant that there were many different racers who chose uh, Alfa Romeo as their as their racing car. So which was also a sign of quality. Exactly, and so 1920 we had the first victory for the young Alfa Romeo team uh, Giuseppe Campari uh, won at Mugello with the 4060 <coughs> and with this let's uh, carry on uh, 1921 to 23 
we just put here some examples where Alfa Romeo was uh, successful. Again, uh, 21 uh, Campari won again at Mugello, again with the 4060. In uh, 1923, we had uh, again uh, success in um, Targa Florio with Ugo Sivocci with the Alfa Romeo LRL TF. In Italy, Cremona, Antonio Ascari, uh, the, father, the father of uh, Alberto Ascari. Uh, and in Ravenna, also Italy, uh, where we had uh, quite uh, young Enzo Ferrari uh, driving an Alfa Romeo RL TFTF st standing for Targa Florio. As you remember, if you saw our episode about Enzo Ferrari, uh, in the beginning he started uh, as a uh, race driver, but he not started, but he, first he was the race driver before he was the team manager. And so he participated uh, in Ravenna and here he had been uh, successful for the team. Yeah, and we can, uh, I guess, safely say that uh, Alfa Romeo was also one of the inspirations for Scuderia Ferrari team. Um, yeah. Definitely, you know, with... Uh, Racing, his racing experience and the Ferrari took quite a lot of uh, experience out of driving uh, Alfa Romeo cars when he was designing his own cars eventually. Yes. Um, I mean, he started practically designing his uh, first car uh, still being an employee of uh, Alfa, Alfa Romeo. Romeo. And, uh, yeah, right. mm -hmm. yeah uh, when we think about the B-Motore, which is pretty much based on Enzo Ferrari's philosophy that the focus is on the engine and not on the aerodynamics. And of course, we will present you that car uh, also today. A famous uh, logo of the Alfa Romeo uh, racing department up to today is the Quattrofolio uh, Verde, which you see also uh, on the photo of this beautiful Alfa Romeo Targa Florio. There's a, a story behind and it's a little bit uh, tragic also, unfortunately. Uh, and it was uh, invited uh, by the mechanics of Ugo uh, Sivocci. He, he was a very good uh, race driver, but uh, unfortunately lacking um, luck, meaning he was good in the race, but never finished it. And uh, to, uh, to overcome uh, this potential bad luck, uh, his uh, mechanics uh, put a sticker on the car uh, showing a green uh, uh, cleave. This is a uh, traditional. Clover. Yeah, it's a full leaf exactly. clover. Yeah, so, so it's, it's said to bring good luck, right? So if exactly. you find a full leaf clover, that, yeah, then you have good luck. Uh, exactly. And uh, so this uh, he used, and uh, it seemed it. Uh, uh, brought uh, good luck to him uh, so he always uh, used it and um, besides being a symbol for good luck uh, another reason why uh, the people at Alfa Romeo uh, put this on his uh, car could have been that it's also uh, quietly easy to distinguish and helped uh, the other drivers to distinguish him for example in opposite to other drivers and maybe uh, let him pass by a little bit faster because besides this, all the cars they, uh, looked quite uh, the same dark red, so it was quite difficult 
to say who was uh, whom. Though this may be an, had been another reason why uh, this uh, symbol was painted on uh, the car. Yeah, and of uh, unfortunately, course, yes? yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say, and of course. Uh, so these things also have just a psychological effect, right? It's not that yes. uh, uh, if you paint a clover, it will make you faster. If you paint a clover on your on your car, it will make you faster necessarily. But of course, it has a psychological effect, and uh, you know, in in this case, it, it did work. <laughs> so yeah. it did uh, it, it did change the psychological state of the driver, and uh, naturally, Ugo, Sivochi, and um, you know. Basically, yeah, we had uh, uh, there was there was a difference between before and after. I <laughs> just say uh, right. before and after putting this clover on the car. Yeah, in, yeah. In the but then, mm -hmm. yeah, but then happened unfortunately the tragedy. Uh, Ugo Sivocci, he was testing uh, the new Alfa Romeo uh, P1. This in preparation for the Italian uh, Grand Prix. As it was a test, uh, they not uh, painted uh, the car at the adequately with this uh, symbol mm -hmm. and uh, he died uh, in testing the car. Uh, as we discussed in some episodes uh, before, a lot of people in uh, motorsports are quite superstitious and this had been also the case here with the Alfa Romeo team because yeah, I was uh, going to say we probably should do a special when we talk about yes. prejudices and uh, all sorts of superstitions with uh, but it's not only the drivers but also the team principals that have these uh, different uh, weird rituals and yeah we can definitely talk about that so some of them some of them are quite funny so we, we do need to probably bring them up because it will make a nice story yeah we still have it on our to-do list um, so it uh, and this is the reason why uh, after this um, all Alfa Romeo cars uh, had uh, this uh, clover as a sign of good luck and also because people are superstitious as they may think that uh, leaving this off may bring a bad luck. Now let's go to uh, 1924 and um, uh, also a big uh, thank you uh, to the press department of Stellantis uh, who supported us here with some nice uh, photos. Uh, so, so we have some ad additional pictures uh, to show also uh, thanks to the museum. Uh, a lot of the pictures which we see today I had uh, the opportunity to take myself like uh, this Alfa Romeo RL, uh, a very uh, beautiful car. Really, if you have in Milan, you really have to visit the museum. I think it's one of the most beautiful car museums uh, around the world anyway. So 1924, uh, still uh, successful, Signore Enzo Ferrari. He won in Ravenna, he won in uh, Polesine. And by the way, you see, uh, even if you're speaking about the factory uh, racing uh, department, uh, the budget has been quite limited, so most of the races uh, where Alfa Romeo participated had been uh, in Italy, while, for example, on the other side, most of the races where Bugatti participated had been in, uh, um, France, in France, and uh, really travel had been quite difficult with uh, 
lacking of budget and of course we don't have this good infrastructure as we have right uh, today yeah that's right and um, yeah i just wanted to say that uh, if we look at uh, alfa romeo rl uh, which is really a very pretty car probably like one of the yeah. one of the prettiest cars ever made um uh, and uh, it's also good to see if you're watching us on youtube some of the older pictures uh, with people actually in, <laughs> in inside the car um and it must have been really a, a, a joy to to race it um because definitely it was one of the leading uh, designs at the time um, uh, one of the most powerful engines at the time and um yeah as you can see with uh, uh, Enzo Ferrari and Antonio Ascari uh, uh, participating and winning quite a lot of races. Yeah, it was a very successful um, design. Yep, and also it continues being uh, successful. And uh, here we have uh, the new Alfa Romeo P2, really a beautiful car, as you can see it in the museum. But also I brought it here to show a little bit in the camera. Mm -hmm. So really beautiful and interesting, uh, as you may recognize, uh, in the 1920s, the red was uh, quite different than today. It was a much darker red and also it was much not uh, shining. Yeah, yeah, so, we, we, we discussed uh, this uh, before with the colors that, uh, right. uh, you know, with uh, the introduction of TV broadcasting in Formula One, a lot of experience changed and obviously the cars be became uh, brighter and shinier because they look better on screen. Uh, and there were, of course, some uh, kind of more obvious uh, technical reasons for this, right, with the weight. Uh, uh, because yes. uh, some like deeper colors obviously require more coats of paint and uh, more coats of paint means that your car is heavier <laughs> and, right uh, yeah so this is this was also one of the kind of more technical reasons why this happened yep and uh, in 1925 we have a championship uh, and uh, here alfa romeo uh, won the championship, but if we are speaking about championship, uh, it's a combination of just four races. Indianapolis, uh, Spa, Francochon, and uh, Monterey and uh, Monza. And due to the two victories, uh, Alfa Romeo won the championship. At that time, it was only a championship for the manufacturer, but not for the driver. Yeah, and I just want to say that we have uh, here on screen, I think, uh, like a small error with, uh, uh, with says Alberto Ascari. It's, it's meant Antonio. Oh, yeah, yes. Antonio, Antonio. Antonio, this is the father of Alberto Ascari. I mean, uh, I mean, it's quite obvious from the picture <laughs> that uh, that's Antonio and uh, yeah. not Alberto. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously. Uh, um, Alberto Ascari was racing, also racing uh, Alfa Romeo and then uh, Ferrari, we've, we've, we had yeah. a separate episode about uh, Alberto Ascari and uh, uh, both uh, the father and the son, they died in, in racing. So um, yeah. this, this, uh, this family basically uh, devoted their lives to the sport and Alfa Romeo was a big part of, of uh, the family life of Ascari. Uh, racers. Yeah. yeah. In uh, 1926, uh, 
Alfa Romeo was a little bit less uh, successful. Uh, they couldn't um, score any points in the four races. So at this time, the championship went to uh, Bugatti. Uh, similar in 1927, where uh, Delage won the championships. And for the obvious reason, we didn't have any uh, ray, uh, championship between 1928 and uh, 1930. And this is exactly when we had uh, Scuderia Ferrari uh, on the rise, right? Uh, so, so, yeah. so essentially, uh, on the one hand, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate uh, to to see kind of. Uh, uh, the, the downturn of uh, of um, Alfa Romeo in late 1920s, but that's probably also a good thing because uh, uh, who knows? Maybe we wouldn't have had Scuderia Ferrari <laughs> otherwise. You know, if Alfa Romeo was doing great, maybe Enzo Ferrari wouldn't decide to to have his own brand and would continue working for Alfa Romeo. Yeah, who knows? So. We are back with the uh, championship in 1931 and uh, we had here now the uh, European championship uh, and it was won again by Alfa Romeo, uh, by Fernando Minoy. You see him on the uh, photo if you're uh, seeing us in YouTube or also now on uh, Spotify. The season was again quite limited to uh, be honest. Uh, Monza, Monterey and uh, Spa-Francorchamps and here we had uh, Alfa Romeo uh, with victory in Monza, Giuseppe Campari uh, with the famous Tassio Novolari in the new Alfa Romeo 8C2300. While the other races um, had been uh, won by uh, Bugatti, but due to the other positions, uh, the championship went to Alfa Romeo and the new Alfa Romeo race department after Enzo Ferrari left, which uh, was named Alpha Corse, a name which they would use also later in the 1990s again. And I think also already in the 1980s. 1932, Alfa Romeo stayed uh, quite successful, uh, winning again the championship. And again, it's uh, Tassio Nuvolari in, I think, not only in Italy, quite a legend, but uh, unfortunately for him, uh, his uh, time was before start of uh, Formula One, so he's uh, maybe not that known um, uh, in comparison uh, to Fangio, who started uh, like 20 years later. But really very successful uh, driver. Uh, we had three races in 1932. Monza, where Novolari won with the Alfa Romeo P3. Reim, they won again. And uh, Nürburgring also we have a victory for Alfa Romeo P3. And here the driver was uh, Rudolf Caracciola. Uh, the name sounds very Italian, but uh, he was uh, German, but of course with Italian um, heritage. Yeah, and uh, Patrick uh, has uh, kindly included the Alfa Romeo P P3 photo uh, uh, on this uh, on the slide. If you are watching us on YouTube, you can see it, and it's a really really pretty design. But also, as, as Patrick said, it uh, kind of re re revolutionized and reborn uh, Alfa Romeo as a brand because it was uh, such a competitive and fast car. Uh, yes. And definitely, this was uh, uh, th this essentially meant that that Alfa Romeo 
would continue in racing and uh, it allowed Alfa Romeo to then uh, uh, produce very strong cars for later for the Formula One championship. Yeah. Because we saw quite a few brands, right, when they sort of, they are on decline, they basically disappear. That didn't happen with, with Alfa Romeo, which is great. Right. I mean, the, I think the most famous brand right at the beginning was uh, Bugatti, who mm -hmm. unfortunately not uh, survived. It was reborn various uh, times, but uh, it's not a continuous story, but companies bought practically the name uh, and then started a new Bugatti uh, company, which happened various times uh, over the years, and uh, which is uh, up. Uh, so Bugatti exists uh, also again today, but it has not much in common than uh, the Bugatti in uh, company from the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Which brings us to the second part, and we will talk about the systems now, right? And, uh... The earlier the earlier uh, racing and uh, how yes. um, uh, Alfa Romeo team contributed to the development of the systems in racing. Yeah, if we speak here about uh, systems, um, the idea is we speak about uh, the uh, political systems. Uh, we discussed uh, in our uh, episodes bef uh, before, especially when we speak uh, about races in Latin America, as we, as we spoke about in Argentina, in uh, Mexico, but also we, we, we spoke about uh, Spain. Uh, racing was seen as a sign of uh, technical progress and also a sign of uh, political progress, progress inside the society. And the uh, victories on the racetrack, unfortunately, had been, uh, let's say, misinterpreted as um, a superiority of a political uh, system. As we are in, in the 1930s, uh, this had been, unfortunately, uh, in Europe, we, we saw this in Italy, uh, is, uh, where um, Alfa Romeo became what we see uh, on the screen, which became uh, owned by the government. So, uh, and one of the biggest Alfa Romeo fans in Italy was uh, Mussolini uh, himself. Uh, on the other side, uh, we saw the same uh, in Germany, where the German uh, competitors like Auto Union and Mercedes-Benz have been uh, heavily supported by the Nazi regime. This also to, uh, to uh, show technical progress and uh, progress of the uh, political system. That's why this uh, chapter we called uh, the systems yeah and um, i mean we have to say that uh, you know when we consider the uh, the kind of the nazi regimes and uh, um, generally uh, also not tyrannies right we talked about that uh, in the 1950s um, as mm -hmm. well so we, we actually um, discussed uh, that you know there is there was normally quite a lot of uh, support for technical progress, including uh, technical progress in automotive, uh, because obviously, you know, the, you needed to showcase the strengths of the industry uh, in, in these regimes were particularly interested in that. And uh, yeah, uh, so automotive was a very um, obvious uh, contender for, uh, for support. Uh, because this was e then easy to uh, to show that okay we have technical progress in this uh, in these areas right to get support from the crowd 
um, which uh, also had to do with the development of the military capacity and uh, of the obvious uh, uh, military conflicts that these regimes have participated in later. Yeah. Well, let's go uh, shortly back to 1921. Uh, a, a big part uh, of the Alfa Romeo company was financed by the Banca Italiana di Sconto. Uh, and unfortunately, the bank went uh, bankruptcy and the state had to save the bank. I mean, something which we also heard uh, in modern times. Uh, and so the government got more and more influence into the company. And as a result, in 1928, uh, Nicola Romero uh, left uh, the company, not uh, directly based on his own will, but he was, say, let's say, uh, pushed out, out yeah, forced, out. forced out, pushed out, motivated to leave or how he wanted uh, to call it. And finally, in 1933, the state ownership was uh, reorganized under the banner of the Italian state industrial organization Instituto per la Ricostruzione Industriale uh, IRI, which then uh, had the effective control over Alfa Romeo and uh, this date until 1986, if I uh, remember right, the year that Alfa Romeo uh, had been part uh, of the government and not a private uh, company. Yeah, and um, if we look at um, uh, generally at motos, mot, uh, automotive history, not just motorsport history, uh, the involvement of the government sometimes is a positive uh, factor, right? And in this case, it was rather a negative factor because of the key figures like Nicola Romero, you know, left, yeah. um, left the brand. Um, but uh, on the other hand, of course, it meant uh, more financial support. Uh, obviously, the state is more capable of producing uh, financial support than probably private operation. Um, and um, yeah, and, and, and then, uh, of course, it's a miracle that uh, um, Alfa Romeo actually survived, right, uh, after, after such uh, serious uh, changes and survived as a brand, right, they could have renamed it, there could have been all, all sorts of things that, that could have happened, but uh, yeah, uh, so we are quite lucky to still have uh, Alfa Romeo considering uh, its history. Yeah, uh, be because besides all the advantages what you've uh, mentioned, of course, there are also disadvantages. Yeah, yeah, big disadvantages. Mostly, there are also some um, which mostly, uh, and uh, you may imagine it, is uh, extended to bureaucracy. Uh, quite interesting. So normally, you would say this would make it quite um, impossible to be successful on the track, but at least in the beginning, uh, Alfa Romeo stayed competitive. And uh, I mean, with Renault, we have another example where a governmental-owned company was quite successful in motorsports. Yeah, well, this, like if we take French automotive in general, right, they have quite a lot of uh, financial support from the government. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we take... Uh, um, um, late uh, sort of uh, 20th century history of French automotive when uh, the French government basically decided to take over some of the brands uh, to revive them and to make them competitive internationally. So this was rather a positive, um, a positive yeah. move. But uh, I mean, in this case, obviously, 
um we on the one hand it's of course great that uh, um, the key figures didn't uh, agree to collaborate with uh, with uh, controversial and uh, you know um uh, kind of controversial takeovers from the Nazi regimes, and uh, you know, but on uh, but on the other hand, yeah, it it could have meant the end of the brand uh, really easily. So um, yeah, like I said before, it's quite lucky that uh, the brand survived these changes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this... that brings us to 1935. So yeah. Exactly, and uh, this is uh, we see the results. What we already discussed, uh, we have the competition between the different political uh, systems, and uh, Germany, as the let's say the bigger country, the more richer country, they had uh, more possibilities to technically, but also financially support uh, uh, their uh, teams. Uh, we see here mostly Mercedes Benz, <coughs> but also. Uh, auto union and uh, the 1935 it was completely dominated by uh, mercedes-benz and the famous w25 uh, which not only included a very strong engine but also uh, they started uh, including aerodynamics uh, which uh, wasn't uh, possible uh, for uh, alfa romeo uh, at that time, uh, Enzo was still part uh, of the racing team. And uh, that's why I, uh, I mentioned that the first Ferrari was maybe already uh, designed as he still was uh, a part of uh, Alfa Romeo because uh, based on Enzo's uh, philosophy uh, that uh, aerodynamics is something if you can't build engine, uh, they, uh, he discussed with the mechanics what we can do uh, against this Mercedes. Uh, honestly, Alfa Romeo didn't have uh, the technical possibilities due to a lack of founding to really reconstruct a new race car. So they used the existing uh, P3 and uh, built a second engine. So uh, if you uh, see us here, you see uh, the engine in the front, but also there's a second engine in the back. In the back, yeah. Which gave the which gave the car much more uh, power. Uh, there had been, uh, but the victories, well, I think it was only one victory at the end, which was uh, in on the Avos in uh, in Germany. The Avos, it's it's a quite strange uh, racetrack. In fact, it's two straight lines and uh, 180 degrees uh, curves. So, uh, and this is, was where this car was dominating. But besides this, the car had the power, but the problem was, you may imagine, the weight. And uh, so it used a lot of tires, so the, there had been more pit stops necessary. And yeah, reliability uh, suffers, uh, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you have, if you have uh, one engine, uh, uh, so if you, if you have two engines, it's not only two... Uh, twice the power, right? It's also double the problem because uh, what exactly. can happen with one engine uh, in terms of reliability, and generally, engine is one of the least reliable car uh, car parts in uh, in in the in in racing car, right? So this is what you you ideally would want to change frequently uh, to make sure that it works. But I mean, uh, when you have two engines, obviously a lot of things can go wrong, and a lot of different things can go wrong. 
So, right. uh, yeah. So practically, uh, the car wasn't really uh, used uh, besides the Argos race. And uh, you see here the results from the 1935 season. We have won seven races, uh, six won uh, by Mercedes. And uh, interesting, uh, fascinating. Uh, the only victory uh, was uh, at, uh, for Alfa Romeo was at the Nürburgring. Uh, by Tassio uh, Nuvolari, which uh, for Enzo Ferrari was the best uh, driver who ever was and ever will be. Uh, and uh, with the uh, quite old-fashioned Alfa Romeo P3, and this was the normal P3 with the single engine. Many, um, many said later uh, that the race at the Nürburgring was the perfect race or also the uh, impossible victory because the car was really lacking a lot in comparison to the Mercedes or even the Auto uh, Union. So you remember Nürburgring, uh, the 22 kilometers race, also known as the uh, Green uh, Hell. And uh, what uh, the spectators uh, saw, uh, Nuvolari was driving the whole time uh, really on the limit without any kind of uh, of error and uh, there was also uh, it was uh, raining uh, but but he really was much faster than the mercedes drivers uh, with the superior cars and due to this uh, uh, it was called later the uh, impossible um, victory yeah, and we already, we already discussed this, right? That in the rain, uh, you um, what matters more is the skill of the driver. Mm. So, uh, even if you are in an inferior car in the rain, everyone slows down. So you have a chance uh, as a as a driver in an inferior car to win against uh, drivers in superior cars uh, if you are more skillful and. Uh, uh, certainly, this uh, shows the skill of Tazio Novellari and uh, his experience. And uh, basically, uh, at the time uh, of, of this race, he was the, uh, the most skillful driver on the track. So that's, um, yeah. So, so, and we, uh, yeah, we previously discussed how kind of externalities like weather affects races. But in this case, obviously, it was not only the victory of uh, Alfa Romeo, but uh, the victory of a very skillful driver, Tazio Novellari, who made it happen. Yeah, so it's practically a David versus Goliath story of arm uh, of poor against uh, rich would have been the perfect, uh, I mean, you have to imagine it was 1935, uh, it was Germany, the uh, Nürburgring, so uh, a lot of high-ranking governmental uh, people had been there waiting, uh, awaiting uh, the normal Mercedes victory uh, to, to celebrate them, to celebrate uh, the systems, the political party itself, uh, and at the end, uh, it didn't happen, but uh, the little Italian, uh, just little Italian say that way, uh, won the, the race. Uh, and it should have been, as you maybe imagine it from the first Rocky movie, where, no, sorry, was it the fourth? This Drago? I don't know. Where we had uh, Rocky against Drago in Russia, and at the end, uh, the underdog uh, Sylvester Stallone Rocky won, and even the uh, Soviet uh, governmental started to applaud. So something 
like this uh, happened at uh, this uh, race. So it would have been the perfect uh, Hollywood movie. Why it never happened? Maybe because of the downside that, as mentioned in the beginning, uh, Alfa Romeo was supported by the Mussolini government. So it's not that you can say that easily it was good against bad David King against Goliath. But you may imagine a little bit like a Rocky movie. Okay, oh. Oh. 1936. Oh. Exactly. So besides uh, this miracle, P3, right? And we still have Alfa Romeo P3. Uh, ex exactly. So besides the single miracle, uh, 1936 continued uh, as you would have imagined. Uh, German uh, companies uh, dominate, dominated uh, again. Uh, this time, uh, Bernd Rosemeyer with the Auto Union, also uh, as they had a more uh, as a, that a new car uh, superior uh, to the Mercedes, uh, including uh, more aerodynamics, including, uh, I think it was the one with the engine in the back. So Auto Union was the car to beat. And uh, nevertheless, due to the skills, the driving skills by Novolari, uh, he could uh, at the end uh, finish a third in the championship with a car which was on, honestly not competitive in 36. Yeah, definitely. And again, we have kind of skill skill versus technology here. Uh, but uh, in this case, it was not uh, just a single race that was affected, but the whole, well, it's not really a standard season, but we can say 1960, 1936 season uh, in the sense that there were many different independent uh, Grand Prix. Yeah, and uh, due to the skills, uh, Enzo Ferrari, as I mentioned, uh, for him was Nuvolari the best uh, driver around. Maybe Nuvolari was uh, also the reason why Enzo stopped uh, racing himself, because he uh, understood he never could uh, drive on the level than uh, Nuvolari. Uh, so if he later... Uh, identified um, talented uh, drivers for Formula One, uh, he should have said, I see a little Novolari uh, in you, which he said uh, with Alberto Ascari and also later famously with uh, Jill Villeneuve. Yeah, okay, this is, now, uh, yeah, also I just want to say that now we are yeah. talking about a period kind of on the verge of the First World War, so we also need to put that into historical um yeah. historical context uh, so we are talking about it like it's it would be kind of a normal uh, automotive competition but uh, you know the political situation obviously was more and more uh, more kind of more and more complex and uh, naturally it was very difficult to um uh, it became more and more difficult to, to produce the cars, even though, you know, there was probably some financial support, uh, considering that it was, uh, the team was um, um, at the time supported by Mussolini government, but nevertheless, you know, the, the whole uh, situation uh, was becoming more and more compli complicated around automotive in general and racing in particular. Exactly. I mean, you just have to see the results. The 1937 season was won by Rudolf Carinciola with the Mercedes W125. Best Alfa Romeo was Tassio Novellari, 
uh, and together with Nino Farina, uh, with uh, whom we also spoke uh, in, in our episode, but really big uh, gap. Uh, and uh, quite interesting if you see us on YouTube or Spotify, uh, at that time, the winner was uh, the driver with the fewer points. So you got fewer points uh, for winning than uh, being, let's say, uh, the second, third, etc. So that's not uh, an error on our slides. It's really the first one, the winner had uh, 13 points, while the seventh, uh, in the seventh position, you had 28 points. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Nina in general, Farina, yeah, and of course, Nina Farina, the first uh, champion, uh, later became the first champion of Formula One. And uh, yeah, it's, he, he did race Alfa Romeo, so that's uh, something that uh, also we need to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, 38, uh, same picture, uh, Rudolf uh, Calciola winning eight points. The best Alfa Romeo was Nino Farina with 21 points. Uh, there was um, practically a whole season in 39, but it was the winner was not um, communicated for political reasons. Uh, I'm yeah, not completely sure why. Well, the war started, so I think it just wasn't appropriate to... Uh, uh, to name uh, the winner. Oh, well, I mean, uh, I, I guess I understand your logic, Patrick, that, I mean, there was supposed to be someone, right, who would emerge, but probably yes. there were other, uh, other priorities at the time. Uh, yes, uh, but let's say the uh, as far as I understood this, uh, it was, the winner was, uh, there have been various races and it was practically the win already decided the championship and I think it was the Auto Union car, but the German government not wanted to, to communicate him as a driver, but politically said that the Mercedes driver would have won the championship. Uh, I'm not quite sure what was behind this, but officially the, due to these uh, discussions, uh, winner for the championship was not announced officially. Yeah, and Alpha Course. Uh, this is uh, again beautiful cars uh, yeah. photographed by Patrick uh, from uh, the Alpha Romeo Museum that you can see on your screens if you're watching us on, on yeah. video on YouTube. Um, and yeah, this is already 1950 Alpha Romeo 158 that you can see, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. But we're talking about Alpha Alpha Course. Right. And, right. Uh, yeah, and, and this, so this is also a very historic moment in the in the uh, development of uh, Alfa Romeo racing. Yes, uh, as we discussed, uh, Alfa Romeo was part of the government, and uh, it, there was uh, uh, Alfa Romeo decided uh, to stop uh, the renaming the racing department at uh, not having it as Scuderia Ferrari, but has it now as Alfa. Corsa, Enzo Ferrari uh, lost uh, parts of his uh, independence, uh, of uh, his ability for uh, decision-making, stayed a little bit around, but then decided, I don't want uh, to work under these conditions. He left uh, the company. He wasn't allowed to use the Ferrari name for, I think, three years. Three years so his yeah. first company, he, he, he founded Auto Avio Costruzioni, and only later uh, the Scuderia uh, Ferrari. Mm -hmm. So now when we're speaking about racing uh, at Alfa Romeo, it's the Alfa Corsa team. Uh, later uh, it should uh, change uh, 
uh, it should become auto delta. Later, it would become uh, not auto. It would be again alpha course. Uh, so a lot of changes in the naming of the Alfa Romeo uh, racing department. That's right. And um, yeah, so we we are now post World War Two uh, already, and uh, yeah, nineteen forty six. So as you can see, between uh, sort of the two World Wars, uh, there was a period of kind of uh, chaos, and uh, uh, even though some races were happening, obviously, uh, you know, you couldn't really speak about a particular uh, brand being uh, dominating right or something so really we are coming back to racing properly in 1946. right and uh, i mean as you know uh, a lot uh, big parts of europe had been uh, destroyed so there hadn't been much new uh, developments uh, the, uh, the cars had been developed practically uh, before the second world war and uh, so they used the same uh, designs and uh, we had uh, major races um, like for example in uh, Bois de Bolin, Papillon de Ron, uh, Geneva, Turin, Milan and we see more and more uh, racing in uh, Latin America, South America particularly. So Alfa Romeo was quite successful in 1946 uh, with the Alfa Romeo 308, again very uh, beautiful car. Uh, which, if I remember right, they don't have in the uh, museum in Milan. So the, uh, if you're uh, watching us, the photo here is from the Indianapolis Museum in the US. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they do have it in, in the museum. It's just it's not on display, right? So we have to understand that a lot of uh, um, a lot of what museums have, they don't actually have an opportunity to display mm -hmm. always. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, it's not like they don't have it, but it's just not probably not on display. And but it's it's good that yeah, we, we actually see the Alfa Romeo three three zero eight. It's a really a cute car, and uh, I believe it was uh, there was a special exhibit in Coventry at one point that, uh, when this car was displayed there as well. So it's very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, quite a funny coincidence. Uh, the car is uh, we see here has the number thirty three, which is a quite a famous number for Alfa Romeo, which uh, we will discuss in the second episode. Forty seven, uh, same as uh, before, no championship, but a lot uh, of single races. Uh, we see, uh, if you see uh, the, the victories for Alfa Romeo, so this, uh, you see them in uh, Brazil, Interlagos, in Argentina, in uh, Rosario, uh, Rafaela, uh, again, Interlagos, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, uh, Montevideo, Uruguay, and Mar de Plata, again, uh, Argentina. So why there have been so many races in uh, South America, I think there are different um, reasons. First of all, it, uh, South America wasn't uh, destroyed in the uh, Second World War. Uh, also, uh, as a, in the, in the uh, time of the different World Wars, uh, rich people, uh, for example, uh, uh, people from the US, they still uh, did their summer holidays. So uh, in, the, in the past, maybe they would have traveled to Europe 
as it wasn't possible, a lot of the rich people traveled to South America, especially uh, Brazil and uh, Argentina. So if you visit, uh, for example, Rio de Janeiro, if you see the famous uh, hotel uh, Copacabana, or if you see uh, downtown Buenos Aires, there, there had been uh, growing uh, places, especially in the 1940s. Uh, so in the time when uh, there was the Second World War and also when uh, big, later when uh, big parts of Europe had been uh, still destroyed. Uh, so not really um, a destination for tourists. So a lot of people, a lot of money had been going into uh, South America. And also we had uh, governments uh, which supported the, uh, the progress or at least wanted to communicate uh, that they are related uh, progress. I mean, if you see the Brazilian flag, it even says uh, progress and order. So again, similar to governments uh, before the world war in uh, Europe, uh, a lot of the regimes in South America, Latin America, also saw um, uh, uh, motorsports as a sign of progress. Yeah, yeah, um, benefits in, in organizing these races. Yeah. yeah, and of course, due to this, we had also a lot of uh, rich people living in uh, Brazil and Argentina. Uh, as you said, uh, these race drivers, they had been gentlemen drivers, so meaning they bought their cars uh, themselves and then uh, raced them. And this is practically uh, how it would uh, stay uh, until the end of the 1940s. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so uh, the Sweden 08 and also the new Alfa Romeo 158. Uh, and uh, exactly this is the 58, which we would see later in the uh, championship, yes, in the Formula right. One championship. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, yeah, and um, again, you, you can see the uh, iconic uh, uh, style uh, design of, of, of Alfa Romeo car, this kind of bullet-shaped car that uh, dominated uh, the 1950s uh, practically, yeah. right? So this type of design of the car was very successful in racing and uh, yeah um in influenced a lot of further designs that we see in, uh, that we saw later in formula one exactly yeah was that uh, this this is the end of the first part uh, and we're talking about alfa romeo and we will uh, hope to see you for the second part as well where we discuss the progression of uh, um, Alfa Romeo team uh, from 1950 to now. <laughs> we are currently in 2021. So uh, join us for the second part. And yeah, I just want to remind you that we are on practically all uh, media. And uh, thanks to Patrick, uh, we've also been spotted by Spotify. And now video the video is available on Spotify as well. Exactly, because we have uh, the honor and pleasure uh, to be included into the beta testing uh, at uh, Spotify as, uh, as, now, as they are testing not only uh, to host audio podcasts, but also video podcasts. So the, the new, our new episodes, you can see them directly as video if you want to. I mean, you can also just listen to us, whatever you prefer. 
And also uh, we will uh, change our old uh, episode to make them available as a video on uh, Spotify. So it will be interesting for us to see uh, where uh, this is going with uh, Spotify. Uh, we are inside the beta testing, uh, but for all cases, I mean, our base uh, stays YouTube. Yes, that's right. And uh, yeah, just uh, again to, to reiterate why we're not using some of the footages that uh, you can see in other, uh, probably in, in other discussions about Formula One. We, uh, we essentially, our uh, conviction is to, to do things ethically. So we only use uh, photos that either we've taken ourselves or we use uh, photos that uh, have an open license so we can obtain the license for. So we just yep. uh, also want to, to in, insist uh, on this rule. And uh, this is why in uh, our analysis of uh, Formula One history or races, uh, you only see uh, uh, ethically sourced uh, <laughs> material. <laughs> right. So let's just say, yes, yeah, so that's what we are. Uh, at least uh, trying to trying to do so but thank you for staying with us and we hope to see you next time yeah see you see you later see you later <laughs>